do it this, so there you go. I'll start over. Let me reset the clock. It's, it's a very difficult situation in Honduras. People, uh, Honduras, people are getting hungry uh, and hungrier because most people literally depend on uh, their earnings for today, maybe a week for them to buy their groceries for that week. So uh, we've been able to raise some money through various initiatives and uh, buy food baskets and do food distributions, and that's been able to help a lot of people. And I think it's only going to get worse. So you may be hearing some of that in, in our publications and on social media where we ask for your help. Um, one of the things that's happened, well, let me give you a background of, of uh, how I arrived at what I'd like to share with you today from Scripture, because I think it's a message we need to be thinking on ourselves, reflecting on, and sharing with each other, challenging each other. The first three months when things were shut down here, we lived with my cousin and his wife in Laverne, Tennessee. They have a large house. They're empty nesters. And we literally thought, well, a couple of weeks, we're going to be able to go back. But after three months, they were very gracious, but um, it was kind of time for us to do something else. So our daughter graduated from Harding, and she was moving to Chattanooga and starting a master's course. So we got her an apartment before she moved there, and we've been working out of Chattanooga, Tennessee for that uh, length of time. And as things opened up, we began traveling, visiting with people like we've been doing the last couple of days with some of you here. And we've traveled to Alabama, uh, several places in Tennessee, Oklahoma, Texas. We were in Fort Worth a few weeks ago, Louisiana. And every conversation that we have, almost all exclusively had with Christians, talks about the uncertainty, the discouragement, the, the stress that we are all feeling in our culture, that the world's feeling because of the pandemic, in our particular case because of a really volatile political environment, the rioting, people are concerned. And I think we have something that the world needs. Many of you know the story about Harrison, our son. Just to give you an idea of what kind of young man he was, 16 years old, we decided we wanted to go to uh, Honduras and work as missionaries, much uh, because of his urging. Uh, he wanted to do one more mission. We had been in Mexico years before, before he went off to, to college. And so we landed in Honduras. We feel like God directed us there. He gave up his car. He had just gotten his license, which is kind of a rite of passage for, for most of us here in the United States. And he worked as a youth minister when we started a church down there. Went to Harding, um, married his, his sweetheart in his, uh, between his junior and senior year. They, they finished their senior year together. Three months after they graduated, they were in New York, in Jamestown, New York, at a wedding rehearsal, and one of the young men there invited Harrison to get on the back of an ATV and ride around, and accidentally, he drove that ATV off a cliff, and our son Harrison was injured with a traumatic brain injury that he still suffers from today. So this is a young man, his whole life ahead of him. Uh, 
He survived, but he is 100% dependent on his wife, Haley, and others, uh, her in-laws in particular, to help him. So, of course, with the time that we've had here in the, the U.S., we have spent as much time as we can with Harrison and Haley. And initially, when there was less known about the pandemic, and the, I think the tension was a little bit higher, Don, there was a lot of conversation in the house about Haley, who is a nurse, and her father, who is also a nurse, going to and from the hospital and possibly bringing home the virus and infecting Harrison, who is, is pretty, pretty vulnerable in his, in his uh, physical condition. And so Harrison, he can't converse. Uh, he is able to communicate, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But he's listening and processing. And Haley was wondering whether she should, you know, actually not sleep uh, in the bed with him and stay apart because she didn't want to give him a virus that probably would take his life because of his vulnerability. So Donna asked him, Harrison, what do you think about all this? And it takes two people at least for him to communicate. One has to hold his head up while he's in his wheelchair so his eyes will stay focused on an iPad. You hold the iPad in front of him. Haley will balance his elbow and uncurl his finger because they tend to curl up. And she will help him. Sometimes it takes forever to get a short message. But she will help him communicate what, what's on his mind. And You know what he said? This is a man who has had everything stripped from him that, that a man would look to to think, you know, I'm responsible, I'm, I'm a provider. He has none of that. And he said, don't freak out. God is still in control. And I tell you, it's, you know, I got a lump in my, I still do, you know, in my throat thinking about it. How can a man who has had everything stripped from him that a man would look to to think, think I'm a man, you know, in the most positive sense. How can he have that kind of peace? A few weeks later, we were sitting at the dining room table. Uh, It was was sometime later, getting close to August, and we, we were having a conversation about the fact that we're coming up on, in August, the fifth year anniversary of, of Harrison's accident. And Haley, I can still see her in my mind. She's sitting, I think she was writing some thank you cards or something. I've got a picture of her kind of bent over uh, at, the, at the dining room table. And she, she said, oh, Harrison, we have had five more years together than I ever thought we would have. And she jumped up, and she went over, and she kissed him and hugged him and said, I'm just so thankful to God that I have you. And I told him when you were in the hospital, if he would just just preserve your life, I, I would love you and, and praise God for that. How do people have that kind of faith? I mean, I'm 59 years old. I, I was baptized when I was 10. I've been in a family of faith generations of faith, and I admire that. I want that for myself. I'm challenged by that. You know, Harrison and Haley have learned something that we all know who are Christians, but we sometimes forget. 
And as I was considering how is it that they have that peace, the, the words came to me from Hebrews 6, 19, and I think that's often how the Holy Spirit communicates with us is through his word. And just that one phrase where the inspired author said, we have this hope, an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, talking about Jesus. And you know what? That's the answer to how you deal with that kind of tragedy or difficulty and still have peace. That's the good news. That's the gospel, the essence of the gospel. And it's what our world needs to hear. It's what we need to live in our lives. When you hold on to that anchor that is steadfast and secure, unshakable, you are a person that just radiates the kind of confidence and hope and joy that Harrison and Haley share. Those are not the only two stories that I want to share with you. And I, I think what, what I'm trying to do here today is share with you gospel applied. And we're going to close with reading from 1 Peter 1 from the Inspired Apostle. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and invited to be part of a, a small group men's Bible study that's focused on recovery. And there was a man in there recovering faithful Christian, lover of Jesus, who had a daughter, 18 years old, senior in high school, who slipped out at night and went and met some friends at a local community pool, and before the night was over, one of those friends murdered her. She was found floating in the pool. How do you deal with that? How do you not become bitter and angry filled with rage as a father towards that young man who did that to her. In that same group, there was a man who really was there more as a facilitator because of what he's lived and how he is living. Several years ago, he was driving on the interstate with his wife and two teenage sons, and they were involved in a tragic accident where his wife... And one of those sons was killed, and he and his other son walked away. Faithful Christian family. A few years later, he married a lady. And two years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. Thank God she's been cancer-free these last few months. But how do you deal with with that kind of storm in your life. You have to hold on to the only thing that is secure. Jesus is the only one that always fulfills his campaign promises. There's not a politician out there, whatever your flavor or choice is, that that can do what Jesus can do. He is the eternal one. He's the lover of our souls. He gave his life so that we could have a seat at his father's table. And the scripture says nobody can take that from us. It is incorruptible. As long as we long and love for his appearing 
and are waiting for him in faith and hope and obedience. It is ours. And that's how we live victoriously in the face of these kinds of storms. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1 if you have your Bibles. We're going to read just a few verses there that really flesh out some of what we've been talking about. Peter says, beginning in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love the fact that Peter calls this hope that we're talking about, he calls it a living hope. It's not dead. It's not going to die. It cannot die because it is based on he who rose from the dead to never die again. First fruits. He is our proof of what God has in store for us. It's a living hope. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance, your inheritance, my inheritance, is kept in heaven for you, those of you who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. How often have we just skipped over those verses and not really pondered on the depth and, and weight of what Peter is saying. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Brothers, that is the gospel. That's what we need to be sharing with each other That's what we need to be sharing with our neighbors, not just in words, but in deeds, living it out full of joy like some of the people that I just shared with you about. When our children were young, we loved to buy uh, Focus on the Family. It was cassettes. And as we were driving to and from church, it was 30, 40-minute drive one way. And as we traveled, we'd listen to those for hours and hours and hours. And there, for the first time, I heard the story about Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a Chicago lawyer and real estate investor in the late 1800s. In 1870, 71, he and his wife lost their young three-year-old son to scarlet fever. If you've ever lost a child, you know just how devastating that could be. In 1873, the great Chicago fire broke out in Miss O'Leary's barn. It burned down 3.3 square miles of downtown Chicago, and the Spaffords lost everything they had in terms of real estate investment. Not long after that, they were friends with the great Baptist evangelist uh, Dwight Moody. He was doing a campaign, Crusade for Christ, in England. They decided their family needed a vacation, so they decided to go to England and vacation and be uh, a part of that campaign as well. So they traveled to New York to board a ship. 
Horatio was called back to Chicago at the last minute for some business, and the wife and four daughters and their governess got on the boat. Apparently, it was a wooden ship, which still was common back then. Somewhere in the Atlantic, a steel ship ran into them, and that wooden ship sank in about four minutes. Something like 200 people died. Four of those people were the Spafford's daughters. So Mrs. Spafford and the governess got to England, telegraphed Horatio as quickly as he could. He boarded a ship, was crossing the Atlantic. The captain called, called him on deck just as they were passing the spot where his daughters drowned. And right there in that moment, the words to the famous hymn that we all know began to come to him that he sat down and wrote. And he, he wrote about what we're talking about. And you all know the song. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. Can you say that? Jesus wants you to be able to say that. He's made it available to all of us. It's the good news based on the one and only one who can fulfill every promise he's ever made. I hope you'll dwell on those thoughts this week. I hope you'll share them with somebody. The elders here have made it available during this time for you to come forward and make any need that you have known. And so as we sing this song of encouragement, I hope you'll take advantage of that time and come forward as we stand and sing. To the river I am going